0: Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking. Another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there. But if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's happening, everyone? This is episode 14, R6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. Me, your boy, Noah Petrie. And we're going to be going over UFC 277 in this episode. Everything that went down in that card, we're going to be going over this week's fight card, which is Jamal Hill against Tiago Santos. Of course, MMA news and drama that's happening in the sphere. Now, I personally... I was never, I'm never a huge fan of the double pay-per-view, you know, weekends, the double pay-per-view months, excuse me. I was never a huge fan of it because now I'm coughing $140 to watch two pay-per-views, which usually if they're doing two of them in a month, they're both kind of lackluster because they're not going to do, they're not going to put their best foot forward into these pay-per-views. So... I've I never been a huge fan of it to be honest with you. Granted, this one I didn't pay for. My dad actually paid for this one. Shout out to him. Usually I'm the one paying for a pay-per-view event for a number of different reasons. One, he's been paying for literally fucking everything since I came out of his sack. So he not only just me, but five other kids on top of us. Why did he have five kids? I don't know. He should have stopped after me, but that's neither here or there. So it's just my way of giving back in a way. Um, even though it's only 70 bucks, so big whoop me giving back, (laughs) but, uh, not only that, but I'm going to use it as a tax write off because since my podcast is technically my business, I'm going to file it tax wise as my business, which that first year, I'm not going to get anything from my business. So it's going to be operating at a loss on top of that. I'll be able to write off the pay-per-view events, um, As business expenses because it literally would be in regards to my business. So that's the reason why I pay for the pay-per-views mainly from month to month. And listen, no matter what country you live in, you should learn some of the tax laws in whatever country you live in because some of this knowledge can definitely, definitely, definitely come in handy. I've read so many business books and tax books and that kind of stuff that I'm very knowledgeable in an aspect to that subject am i an expert no but i can get by so that's what i'm doing so we're gonna be getting that tax write-off baby so you know the government's gonna be paying me to watch these fights that dana white's charging an arm and a dick to watch so either way let's get out of that and let's get into the actual fights i want to go over first drew dover against it alves this was a very entertaining fight man i mean on paper we knew it was going to be entertaining but it was a very entertaining fight now, at first, when a first time I saw both men in the octagon, the first thing I thought was, how the fuck are these guys making 155? They are fucking huge, dude. They are massive. I think Elvis is bigger than Drew Dober. Drew Dober is a huge 155. Bro, Drew Dober's caps are fucking enormous. But either way, both men were really exerting a lot of energy in that, for, in that first round. They were throwing for the hills, man. They were throwing with all the force there was. Um, Alves landed the fastest capoeira kick I've ever seen in my entire life. Drew Dober is able to block it. I'm really not a fan of those type of moves because usually they never land and you just end up exerting a bunch of energy that you could have used for the fight, which the Alves did. It, it did land. Technically, Drew Dover blocked it. Either way, it was kind of cool to see how fast it was. But both men were really throwing in that first round. The first round, I gave it to Alves. Because Alves was able to get Drew Dover to the ground. Granted, Alves wasn't able to do anything to Drew Dover on the ground. Um, Drew Dover did a really good job at keeping Alves in his guard. He was tucking his head under his chest. Not being able to throw any you know major ground-and-pound Alvarez is mostly just going to the body in that regard on the ground. So Drew Dover did a very excellent job keeping him in his guard. Granted, I would have liked to see Drew Dover have more emphasis of getting back to his feet just a little bit more. (laughs) Grappling tends to, as we're seeing, grappling tends to be his weakness. If you're able to get him to the ground, he's not going to have any urgency to get back up. So that's one thing that I would love to see. Um, from drew dover going forward so the first round i give to Alves. now the second round i give it to drew dover drew was doing such a good job going towards the body he was tagging the body tagging the body tagging the body now every time he tried to land significant head strikes Alves did a very good job slipping duck dodging and weaving and up against the cage too which is a little bit harder because you don't have the opportunity to really you know, move back, move your head back. You're kind of just going from side to side. So it is impressive, his head movement. I love seeing good head movement in MMA. Um, now, he wasn't able to capitalize any of his head movement. Because when Drew Dober was swinging and missing, Alvarez wasn't capitalizing or any of the counter punches at all. He wasn't throwing. You know, someone who utilized good head movement, not only that, but good countering, was someone like Anderson Silva or a Conor McGregor in his prime. But Alvarez wasn't doing any of that. He was just duck dodging and weaving and exerting energy in that regard but drew dover smart every time he would miss going to the head he would finish off with a body shot finish off with a body shot especially to the left hand side of the alvis's body where the liver is located we all know if you keep getting hit into the liver your body is just going to shut off automatically so he did a very good job even though he wasn't able to land any significant strikes to the head he'll hit towards the body and um he was just continuously tagging Thiago Alves in the body, just nonstop. Not only with just punches, but with kicks to the left-hand side to the liver as well. So he was just constantly tagging him up in that regard. I give round two to Drew Dober. Now, round three was going good. Oh, wait. Before I go into round three, let's backpedal let's back to round two. Round two, Alves gets poked in the eye. He gets about a minute to recover. He was looking noticeably gassed in that second round. He wasn't throwing as much. He was noticeably slower. After he got the minute to recover from the eye poke, the dude comes out and just exerts all this energy afterwards. Like you just got your energy back, and now you're just dumping it in 10 to 15 seconds. So it's clear that Alves has an issue in regards to preserving his gas tank. So in the third round, Drew Dober got the finish, landed the body shot, dropped Alves, very impressive the body shots man i love seeing body work because it's something that you don't see often it really is a game changer game changer in regards to mma in regards to all combat sports your body can only take so much of those shots and eventually it's going to give out so if you're not checking them if you're not getting out of the way of them they're going to catch up to you you know the first couple the first five six seven eight might not do anything but eventually if you're not blocking those they're going to catch up to you so, shout out to Drew Dover for great game planning in that regard. Now, I want to go over Moreno against Semisberger. I'm just going to call him Semi. Everyone calls him you He's going to call him Semi. His last name is sounds German and fucking hard to pronounce. So, Moreno, it was clear that he was the more experienced fighter in this fight. Granted, his record as far as who Semi beat and who Moreno beat, who they fought... It was clear that Morono had that more experience firing a better competition and it definitely showed in this fight. I was actually going to bet on Morono on this fight. I don't know why I didn't. I regret it. But Morono did such a good job just utilizing that jab, man. Just constantly utilizing that left jab. He was circling around the octagon. He never gave Sammy opportunity to linearly strike him. Um semi was wasn't able to effectively close that distance at all. Moreno was just did an excellent job just staying behind that jab, circling the octagon, and just staying out of range. Just continuously staying out of range, man. He didn't exert too much energy into his punches, but he did an excellent job at that. Now, in that second round, I'm honestly shocked that the doctors let it continue because Semi's eye was completely closed shut. It kind of reminded me of Donald Cerrone's eye when I believe when he fought Tony Ferguson. I think that's when with that famous picture of Donald Cerrone with that eye is like completely closed. It honestly looked exactly like it. The ph- they called the physicians in. The doctor came in, took a look at him, and they go, fuck it. Let's let the fight continue, which is ridiculous. He couldn't see out of that right eye. That could have warranted the fight being called. If this fight was in somewhere like uh, a New York or new jersey they definitely would have called and stopped that fight which would have made sense because i was completely shut so so much credit to semi because he was down two rounds after the second round it goes to his corners his corners like yo you have to give it all you got in this round you have to try to go for a finish because if not you're gonna lose because you're down two rounds and he damn near almost did it he went in there threw a fine knee almost finished morono Morono was able to effectively recover, and that last round played out the same way the first and the second did. So shout out to Semi man, because most fighters in that regard, when their fighters say, yo, you have to go out there and give your all and try to go for a finish, they continue to play it safe. But Semi did the exact opposite. He tried to go out there and try to get a finish. So nothing but respect for him, but it was clear that Morono just had more of the, the fight experience between the two fighters. Now I want to get into Uncle Life against Smith. And this fight kind of played out how we expected it to play out. Now, in that first round, it was very back and forth. Uncle I was showing a lot of respect to Smith. Smith was showing a lot of respect to Uncle I. Smith was throwing a lot of leg kicks, but Uncle I was, I think, checked most of them or almost all of them. Um, I, I gave the round... To Uncle Ives, I think Uncle I had far more effective striking in that first round. It wasn't an exciting first round. We did hear some boos. It was two fighters just constantly going back and forth in a chest match trying to fill each other out. Now, when Smith went to his corner in that second, in the, after the first round, he was saying, I think immediately he said ankle. So clearly there was something wrong in regards to his ankle. So he goes out there. He... Close the distance between him and Uncle Live. He shoots for a takedown. I only think that he he only shot for a takedown because you know his ankle or his leg or some part of um, something was clearly injured in that regard. So he shoots for a takedown. wasn't able to land a takedown. He tries to pull guard. wasn't able to pull guard either. Uncle Live reverses it. lands vicious ground and pound. and Montavo just called the fight afterwards. Now. Smith, even though he was taking significant punishment, he was perfectly fine after the fight. He was there. The physicians came in. He was saying that his leg was broken. Now, at first you say your ankle, but then you say your leg. And he says it's broken. I'm not sure if it was broken. I'm not calling him a liar, you know, by any means. Clearly, there's a major injury, even if it's the ankle or even if it's the leg. I don't think it was broken because if it's broken, bro, you wouldn't be able to move it. Like, I've broken bones before. I've broken many bones. And you're not able to move that shit when it's broken. So, I don't think it was broken. It could have been fractured. Definitely could have been fractured. Um, Could have fractured the ankle. Could have fractured the leg. Could have fractured both. Uh, What was crazy to me is that after the fight, they're going backstage. They're letting Anthony Smith walk backstage why is the man not on the stretcher why is the man not hopping on that one good leg why is he walking on the leg that potentially has a broken or fractured ankle or leg are we fucking serious are we serious texas i can't stand whenever the ufc goes to texas wherever ufc goes to florida because their athletic commissions are, f- are a fucking joke like the dude is clearly injured there's clearly a major injury in regards to his leg. Why are we letting him walk backstage? That doesn't make any sense. That uh, the doc, uh, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to come up with word for it. But you know, from a medical standpoint, that makes no sense. Every other doctor would be like, yo, why is he walking on his leg? Like That shit might be broken. Why is he walking on it? it uh, I fucking hate Texas, man. I, Texas is a joke. The Texas State of Leg Commission is a joke. Same thing with Florida. And honestly, their fans fucking suck. But what's next for Uncle Live? I think he should fight Jan. I think he should fight Jan. I don't think Jan deserves a title shot after fighting Rakik because Leon was clearly losing that fight up until the injury happened, the freak injury happened. So I think Jan should fight Uncle Lyev. I favor Uncle Lyev in that fight anyway. I think Uncle Lyev is the best in the division right now. But yeah, it, it was just a joke seeing Anthony Smith, who is a complete warrior, man. He really is. Walking backstage on a potentially broken leg. Like, it really just didn't make any sense. Now, I want to go, go over Pantoja against Perez. Now, this fight was over as soon as it started. Pantoja came out like a freaking banshee on cocaine. He immediately grabs the back. He shoots for a takedown, then grabs the back. I'm noticing a lot of high-level jiu-jitsu guys are doing that nowadays. Uh, Charles Oliveira... Aldermain Sterling, they have fairly good wrestling. They don't have you know, super elite wrestling guys like Khabib or Islam or DC. They have fairly decent wrestling, but they use it to the point where their main objective is to get the back. So we're seeing a, a lot of high-level jiu-jitsu guys starting to utilize that nowadays. And it could be a trend. I could be wrong, but it's just an observation that I have. So uh, Pantoja gets the back, Fred's back. Now, when it comes to standing rear naked chokes, I'm always fairly wary of it. It depends. When it comes to the heavier weights, then I'm very wary of it. Because if you don't get that submission, then your leg's going to be completely burnt out. But when it comes to flyweight, guys weighing 125, they can hang out there a little bit longer. And usually, when it comes to the flyweight division, everyone's stamina is fairly good. So Pantoja's able to get the back. Now, he didn't get the rear naked choke, but what what he did get was interesting. One, he had the, his arm around the jaw, which I forgot the exact name of that choke. Um, So basically, typically for a rear naked choke, you have your arm around the neck and you squeeze. This time, it was an arm around the jaw. So it's not necessarily choking him, but it's causing a lot of discomfort. It kind of feels like your head's going to pop off. The top of your head's going to pop. So he's squeezing that jaw. Not only that, but he has... Uh, Perez has his neck turned to the right all the way to the right so not only is his jaw getting squeezed his neck is getting cranked all the way to the right and then Pantoja started hyper extending his back to cause further discomfort so it was a very bad position for Perez I don't blame him for you know um tapping to the submission but dude Pantoja really made a statement coming out with this fight. I think it was, he's on a 5 or 6 fight win streak. What's next for him? I think, of course, Moreno is going to be fighting um, Davis and Figueroa for the 4th time. I think Pantoja should fight the winner of that. He should not be fighting anyone else in that meantime. Just sit there and wait up until the winner of that fight and you fight the winner after. He shouldn't be taking any more fights after that. Now we have Derek Lewis against Pavlovich. And I bet it against Derek Lewis in this fight. And I did it and I talked about it in my last podcast. The reason why I bet it against Derek Lewis in this fight is simply because he never does well in Texas. Derek Lewis never fights well in Texas. Every time he fights in Texas, he chokes. So I knew that was going to happen coming in. If Derek Lewis was fight anywhere else, I would have bet on Derrick Lewis. Because it was basically even money. But I knew he was gonna choke. I knew he was gonna have a great performance because he never has a great performance in Texas. So I bet on Pavlovich. Now, in regards to this fight, both men just come out blazing, man. Both men just come out blazing. Pavlovich just got the better of the exchanges. He dropped Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis went head first. He wasn't completely out, but went head first. And Dan Mercury stopped the fight right after. I think it was a little bit too soon. Everyone is saying it's a little bit too soon. Even Dana White said it was a little bit too soon. I would have liked the fight to continue just a little bit more because we've seen Derek Lewis rally in these bad situations in the past. Um and he's able to bounce back. So I would have liked to see Derek Lewis maybe get, you know, wait like another three, four, five shots, and he was not able to recover, then call the fight. I just think it was just a little bit early. Then again, when you're watching from referee standpoint, you see a fire drop down head first, you know, into the freaking canvas. You're you're gonna want to stop that fight right away. So I can't blame I can't blame Damer Gliada for that stoppage per se. I just think it was just a little bit early, just a little bit early. But either way, I'm really not complaining about it because at the end of the day, I won money and I was right. So, um, yeah, I'm really I'm not complaining at all. Now we have Moreno against France. So I bet it on France in this fight. And I bet it on France because one, Moreno has been fighting the same guy over and over again for basically a a pretty long time now. The only opponent he has fought, the last time he fought any other opponent other than Davis and Figueroa was a few years ago. So I had France because France was constantly improving since the first time they fought. Um, France is technically the fresher guy. He has improved in regards to his takedown defense as we've seen against his against Askarov. And he was plus money and he was definitely a live dog. So I had my money on France for those reasons. Now in the first round, I gave it to Moreno. I think Moreno did a very good job slipping and getting out of the way of Francis' punches. He was constantly pressuring France, always having France on the back foot, not able to effectively land anything. France did, did a good job attacking that lead leg. Um, it seemed that Moreno would co- will have to like remind himself to switch stances you know, from time to time, but France did a good job just attacking that lead leg at first. There's a funny observation that I made, which is that Moreno's stance is very similar to Dillashaw's stance. Both like to extend the... Uh, I believe the left arm a little bit, or the right arm a little bit. They kind of you know, like to lean to the left-hand side and place the, their hand over their head. Those is the same thing. Moreno tends to do the same thing. So it's kind of funny seeing that they have similar stances. Fighting style is completely different, but similar stances. Either way, I gave it to Moreno the first round. The second round was a very, very close round. I can see it going either way, to be honest with you. But I gave it to Moreno as well. I think Moreno just did a little bit better work in that second round in compares to France. But if you gave it to France, that's perfectly fine too. In the third round, France came out, you know, guns blazing, man. He was really starting to put it together and starting to hit Moreno. Really starting to put it together and starting to hit Moreno. Now, Moreno was doing an excellent job going to the body throughout the fight, especially in the second round was tagging the body, continues to tagging the body, especially with the the left kicks to the body. As we talked about before, the left side of the body, it's a little bit vulnerable. If you keep getting hit there too much, you're eventually going to fold. So it was clear that Moreno was just constantly targeting that body, which even if he didn't finish France in that third round, still is a very smart game plan because I don't think France ever went to the fifth. Moreno has five-round championship experience. France does it. And even if you're not dropped from the body kicks, they continuously, if you keep getting hit there, it's going to drain your gas tank, which if France never been to the fourth, fifth round, um, and Moreno has, and we've seen Moreno's gas tank be perfectly fine from the first over to the fifth, it was going to favor Moreno anyway. So either way, it was a very good game plan, even if he wasn't in the mindset of finishing him. But he hit him with a body kick, and France folded, man. And it was a shame, because France was fighting so well in that, third round it seemed like he was starting to put it together but moreno showed us as to why he's championship worthiness why he was a former champ so it's a shame that uh that france lost that fight in my opinion I would, I would have loved to saw a fresh matchup but honestly i'm excited to see the fourth fight now before i wasn't excited to see a fourth fight and i would complain about it because i think you know why the fuck we're seeing anyone fight four times but now you Both men are one and one they have a draw. So we kind of, we need this fight. We need this fight for closure. You know, even if you don't want to see two guys fight for a fourth time, we really need this fight for closure. And another thing, we need to change Moreno's nickname, bro. He's about to be 30 soon, and his nickname is Assassin Baby. It's not sexy. Please, let's just change it. We need to find something new for him. Not only that, but when it comes to interim titles, I would like for it to be silver. It's kind of weird how the interim title looks exactly like the main title. That kind of doesn't make any sense. Now, if you want to keep it gold, at least have the design for the interim title be completely different from the main title. But we should just keep the design the same and have the interim be silver. And for trunks, have the interim be silver trunks. You know how we have the black with the gold lettering? Just have the silver with the gold lettering or the white with the silver lettering. So I think that's what we should do for interim champs, um, but it was a good fight, man, and I'm definitely excited to see that that fourth bout between the two guys. Now we're gonna be getting to the main event: Nunez against Pena, and the fight played out nowhere near nowhere near like it did the first fight, first time around. Um, I had money on Pena. The reason why I had money on Pena was because one, it just seemed like Nunez was going to retire soon. It just seems like she wasn't really in the game anymore. She basically did all there is to do in a sport. She's a mom now and she was having issues with her camp. So I figured and on top of that, she's up there in age, like she's 34, 35 years old. So I don't think she I never I didn't think she was gonna reinvent her entire approach to the fight or you know her entire approach to fighting in general. So I just thought you know what Even though I do think that she is by far the superior fighter over Pena. Due to these circumstances. And of course due to Pena being her the first time around. I had Pena winning this one. I wasn't going to be surprised if Amanda would have won this one. Because it would make sense on paper as to why Amanda wins. But I gave it to Pena for that. And I could have been more wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong man. I was completely wrong. That fight played out exactly different. And it's because... I mean, entirely different. And it's because of Amanda Nunes. She didn't go to the same position she did in the first fight. And it kind of made it seem like definitely the first fight was a little bit of a fluke or fluky in a way. So in that first round, the one major change that I saw was that Amanda was fighting Southpaw. She was fighting in the Southpaw stance, which was giving uh, Pena so many problems Pena, I noticed she didn't go to the she didn't utilize the jab that she did in that first fight. She wasn't jab heavy. Um, I don't think Amanda would Amanda would engage with the jab at all if if uh, Pena was starting to utilize it. But Pena was just rushing in, man. She was just rushing in, just with total disregard to Nunez, and Nunez would just tag her in the softball stance with the overhand right every single time. I think in one round, she dropped her three, four times, which warranted the 10-8. In the judges' scorecard, it was 50-45 across the board, and one gave it 50-43, which has only been two other fights in MMA history that got the 50-43. I know one of them was um, Holloway against Cater, but I don't remember the other one. But, yeah, every time Pena would try to rush in, she would get tagged with that overhand right. And... It just seemed like Pena didn't switch up the game plan at all. She didn't create a new game plan for this fight. Her game plan for this fight was do the same thing you did in the last fight and just, you know, use your toughness and your willpower to overpower Amanda. And it just didn't happen this time. Amanda was just pure skill. And the few times that, you know, Pena was able to get some good offense in amanda would take her down right away amanda doesn't have the best brown ground and pound on earth she really her ground she's more of like a lay and pray in regards to um getting her opponents down just staying in that top position landing a few elbows here and there but really not doing much but dude nothing but credit to juliana pena because even though when she was in these bad situations, the fight wasn't going her way, she never stopped trying. She gave the warrior spirit. She gave a championship spirit out there. You can say what you want in regards to the first fight being fluky or whatever the case may be. Or, you know, a man was just going through injuries and you know, stuff in the camp and that's what led to her to lose, etc. Pena gave a championship worthy fight. Granted, it was completely lopsided and she got her ass beat, but she never gave up. She kept trying. She would just constantly just throw submissions at Amanda. Amanda was just constantly trying to defend the submissions. She would go. She tried to go for armbar a few times, which there were some situations where if Pena was a little bit fresher and both fighters weren't as sweaty, you couldn't get to a really bad position there. She tried to throw a Kimura, she tried to do a triangle. She She's just throwing every submission in the book at Amanda. And Amanda's just constantly having to defend in Juliana's guard. So Juliana's guard is very, very good. Very, very good. Even when she's taking a beating like that, she's still dangerous. Um, but dude, she's never gave up, man. She's just constantly going after it any way she can. Even when, you know, she's getting dominated throughout the entire fight. She was still trying to win it up until the very end. So I have nothing but respect for Juliana Pena. You can say what you want with the first fight being a fluke. But I think it's safe to say she all gained our respect in this fight. And Joe Rogan said something interesting. In that after Amanda won her getting carried backstage. It wouldn't be a bad ending to her career. Her just riding off into the sunset. Which for Amanda there's really not much for you anymore man. There's really not much for you anymore. You did it all. 145 is a joke of a division. 135, there really isn't any competition there. Um, There really isn't any contenders there. You defended your belt God knows how many times. You just got your belt again. You became double champ for a second time. Um, You broke other records in this fight that you didn't have before. What else is there left for you? I think the only thing... That makes sense in, in Amanda his career right now is Shevchenko fight. And I know Amanda doesn't want to do that fight because technically she beat Shevchenko twice. She's like, yo, I don't want to fight her again, which makes sense. If you beat her on paper twice, then it is what it is. Granted, I think she lost the second fight against Shevchenko because it's a very close fight, very contested. Um, Could have went either way in regards to judging. But... um. There's really not much for her anymore, man. And honestly, coming coming into this fight, I said this. I said if Amanda loses against Pena, she's not the goat anymore, because she lost twice in a row. She lost the belt, and Cyborg only lost once in the last fucking sixteen years. So I would I, I if Amanda lost that fight, I would have been here saying Amanda's not the goat of the women's MMA anymore. But Amanda won. I think she is to go. I think in order to cement her position as a go and just put you know a fucking nail in her career is if she fights Shevchenko a third time and if she beats Shevchenko a third time, and if it's thorough and completely done and you know there is nothing left for the doubters, the same way that Volkanovski did for Max Holloway, then bro, right off into the sunset, there's nothing left for you. Just retire. You'll go down as the greatest woman fighter of all time. So I would like to see that from a man of newness. I don't know if that fight's ever going to happen. But if I'm Dana White, I'm pushing that fight as much as humanly possible. Now I want to get into MMA news slash drama. And first up, Juliana Pena calls for the trilogy fight. I wouldn't be opposed to this actually. Because there's no one really at 135 to begin with. There's no one at 135. You know, there's no real contenders there. There's no one who's, you know, next up if you will. So I don't really mind this fight too much. Now, I don't think it should happen because it was a one-sided beatdown. So yeah, you beat Emmanuel Nunes the first time, but Emmanuel Nunes thoroughly beat you a second time over five rounds. I don't think it may... If it was a very close fight between Pena and Nunes and it was like a 49-45 or 48-50 across the board, I'd say 49-45, 50-49 or, you know... 50-48 50-48 across the board. I wouldn't mind it then. I generally wouldn't mind it then. Because. It, it, it would have warranted. That second fight. Because it was very close. But if it's you thoroughly got dominated. In this fight. It really doesn't make sense to run it back. For a third time. So I respect her for trying it. But I don't think the UFC is going to do this. Then we have Yair saying. He's not interested in the interim title fight. Says he's waiting for Volkanovski. I, I can't, I don't, I never liked Yair. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a fan of his fighting style. I think he's an excellent fighter. I think he's a very good fighter. I think he's a phenomenal striker. I think he's, you know, one of the best strikers in that division, maybe even all of the UFC. He just has, he always had an entitled attitude. He just always was entitled. And I'm not the only one who's saying this. There's so many other people in the MMA sphere who all say the same thing. Yair just acts entitled. And it's just his entitleness that's coming into play here. Bro, you don't deserve a title shot. Straight up. Straight up, you don't deserve a title shot. You don't. You don't. Nothing you did warranted a title shot. That fight against Brian Ortega ended in an injury. You know, granted, you kind of caused the injury, but either way, it ended in an injury. It's not like you knocked take out or you finished Ortega or, you know, you beat Ortega over five rounds. No, bro, it ended in an injury in the first round. It's not like he beat him for four rounds and the injury happened. No, it happened in the first round. In, the, in a couple minutes to the first round. That doesn't warrant you a title shot, especially when you're coming off a loss. You're coming off a loss against Max Holloway, You, on paper, beat Ortega, but not really. So now you think you deserve a towel shot over someone who has a five-fight win streak? And on top of that, Jair hasn't truly beaten anyone in the top 10 since his fight against Korean Zombie. Literally, since his fight against Zombie, he hasn't beat anyone technically in the top 10. Yeah, you can say Ortega, but in reality, that happened to injury. Didn't really beat him. That's like Jan Blakowicz and Rakic. He didn't really beat him. He didn't really beat him. So there's not a win in my book. It's a win on paper. It ain't a win in my book. And it's not a win in most MMA fans book. So I don't think you deserve that title shot, bro. You don't deserve it. Straight up, you don't deserve it. So you should fight Josh Emmett. Interim title. If you beat Emmett, then I give it to you. You beat Emmett, I think you get a title shot. I don't think he beats Emmett. That's the thing. I genuinely don't think he beats Emmett. Yair gets hit. Emmett has is the hardest striker in that division. And Emmett has very good takedown offense as well. And his stamina is very good. We've seen Yair gas out. So I I, I, I just don't see this entitlement. You just think you deserve a title shot when you did nothing to truly deserve a title shot. Doesn't make sense. Just doesn't make sense to me. Um, Dana White says that he regrets having Figueroa walk in in uh, Moreno's win after the fight i going into the octagon. I 100% agree on this, man. Danaway was saying, you know, it's it's kind of fucked up and rude. And I agree, man. I 100% agree. Because now if Moreno wanted Davidson to come into the octagon, that's fine. Because Moreno's the winner. He wanted Davidson to come into the octagon. But I don't like fighters coming into the octagon when another fighter wins. Because why are you stealing their moment? It's their moment. It's not about you. I don't care if you're the champion and the other person's a clear contender. It's not about you right now. It's about the fighter who won. It's their moment. Why are you just barging in into the octagon? And Why didn't the UFC did a better job stopping him? This could have ended very badly. Granted, this ended very good. This ended very well. Very, very well. It could have ended bad. Moreno did a very good job defusing the situation, apologizing, said, you know, if you're wrong, ever you're wronged you're you, he's sorry, he wants to be buried him before his daughter. Both men shake hands. The bad beef between them is over. So it was good that it ended in that regard, but this could have ended very bad. This could have went sour, sour, very fast. And it just takes away from Moreno's moment. So I didn't think, I didn't like Davis Figueroa getting the octagon. I think the UFC should have did a better job stopping him. And yeah, I, I, this is one of the few times where I actually agree with Dana. Now, Alex Moreno says he's fine with fighter pay and says that the UFC pays him good. Here's the thing: for most of the fighters who actually say this, I don't think they actually believe it. I really don't think they actually believe it. I think if you ask them behind closed doors, yo, what should think about fighter pay? They're gonna be like, honestly. Oh, I don't mind getting paid a little bit more. You know, Everyone wants to get paid more. Everyone, it doesn't matter how much you make, everyone wants to get paid more. That's just human nature. So I generally don't think he actually believes this. I think that he's not on the best terms of UFC or he's not a superstar. So if he speaks out against this, they're going to give him bad matchups or they're going to cut him. So that's why he's saying this because the reporters ask him, he's in the spotlight, and he has to answer it. And he's not a person to rock the boat. So I, I, I don't really think that he actually believes this. So I'm, I'm really not going to knock him on this. Now Pettis qu- questions Khabib's GOAT status. He said he wins the belt ally Quinta. How can he be the GOAT? I agree with this. I don't see people saying how Khabib is the GOAT. I think it really doesn't make sense. I think the only people who are saying Khabib is the GOAT are people who only started watching MMA in the last 4 or 5 years. Because if you've been watching MMA for decades or as long as I've been watching MMA, everyone's going to say John Jones is the GOAT. Now, I'm not saying Khabib is not the GOAT because he beat Ally Quinta. That was a whole debacle and I can get into that and how the New York State of Light Commission was being shady and giving it to the number 13 rank, Ally Quinta. So you didn't give it to Felder because Felder was ranked number 8. But you gave it to the guy from New York that's ranked number 13. Make that one make sense, New York. Um, But (laughs) make that one make sense. But I'm not knocking Khabib that he's not the GOAT because he, he beat Ally Quinta for the boat. I don't think that has to do anything at all. I think when it comes to GOAT status, you have to look at a bunch of different factors. One, title reign. So how long you hold the title for. Two, your resume. I think resume is by far the most important thing as far as GOAT status who have you beaten who have you fought who have you beaten then you have title defenses now title defenses is not necessarily an even playing field because you have guys like John Jones who got title who got you know uh a championship opportunity in like four or five fights and then you have people like could be even Usman have to go through like 10 fights in order to get a title shot so it's a little bit unfair in that regard, but it's still a top tier conversation in regards to talking about the goat. So you have title defenses, and when you look at all these different aspects, it's John Jones. It's John Jones hundred percent by a country mile. Let's get, and the only reason why people say Khabib is because oh how dominant Khabib was, bro. Khabib had thirteen fights in the UFC. John Jones' first 13 fights in the UFC was just as dominant, if not more dominant. Now, I'm going to get on top of that. His resume was far better. Actually, let's pull up both guys' resumes right now. I'm going to go on Google. I'm going to pull up Khabib's resume. Khabib's resume. Okay. Khabib the Eagle. All right, let's go to where he gets in the UFC. So Kamal Shorlias is his UFC debut. Gleason Tebow, which he lost. Diago Tavares, Abel Trujillo, Pat Healy, Rafael Dos one former champion. Thoreau Horcher, Michael Johnson, Edson Barbosa, Ali Quinta, Conor McGregor, one former champion. Dustin Poirier, interim champion. Justin Gaethje, interim champion. So I have all these fights that he had in the UFC. About five, six of them were against true elite guys. Now let's go John Jones. John Jones. Andre Guzmau, first fight. Stefan Bonner, Jake O'Brien. Matt Hamill was considered a loss due to disqualification due to elbows, which was bullshit because he was winning that fight. Brandon Vera, former champion. Ryan Bader, former champion. Uh, Marisa Hua, former champion. Rampage Jackson, former champion. Leo Machida, former champion. Rashad Evans, former champion. Vitor Belfort, former champion. Chell Sonnen fought for the belt. So those are John Jones' first 13 UFC fights compared to Khabib's first 13 UFC fights. They do not compare. John Jones literally fought like nine former champions. Eight to nine former champions. Where in Khabib, he only fought two, and the other two fought for the belt, were interim champions. Does not compare. And on top of that, that was before John Jones fought Gustafson. So Gustafson was the first fight to actually challenge John Jones, or actually push John Jones to the brink. The only time John Jones was in trouble was against Vitor Belfort in an armbar, which John Jones got out of it and finished him. Every single fight that happened, John Jones finished. For the exception of Rashad Evans. Every other fight, John Jones finished. Out of all of the 13 fights, John Jones finished all of them. Khabib has nothing but decisions on his record. So you can argue that John Jones is even more dominant because he was completely finishing his opponents when Khabib was getting decisions. So not only did John Jones fought better competition in his first 13 fights and compared to Khabib, he finished most of those fights. There's only two he didn't finish. Khabib has a ton of decisions. And not only that, John Jones goes to win another... Let me count. Gustafson 1, Teixeira 2, Cormier 3, Ovin St. Pru 4, Cormier 5, Gustafson again 6, Anthony Smith 7, Diago Santos 8, Dominic Cruz 9. Goes on to fight another 9 times and goes on to beat another 3-4 former champions. Does not compare. They do not compare. John Jones is the GOAT. And if you have an issue with PADs, then it goes to George St. Pierre. But Khabib's discussion, and when it comes to the GOAT, doesn't make sense. Oh, Khabib's undefeated. Motherfucker, John Jones is too. He got disqualified for an uh, uh, illegal elbow when in reality, he should have just got a penalty for it. It's because the fucking stupid, um, what's this fucking guy's name? It wasn't Mario Yamasaki. It was the other idiot. But because of that, dude was a fucking idiot. He disqualified Jon Jones. In reality, Jon Jones undefeated. Same as Khabib. But Jon Jones' record is fucking far times better than Khabib. Granted, all the shit that he did outside the cage, different story. Different issue. I don't personally... The man could, you know... Commit mass genocide, there's a difference between what he did in the octagon and what he did in his personal life. And you have to you have to differentiate between the two. So I don't really view any of that stuff as far as the go conversation in MMA. I think John Jones is kind of a shitty human being, but besides that, he's the greatest fighter of all time. And I just fucking proved it in this discussion right here. You really can't argue Khabib being the greatest of all time. If you argue Khabib being the greatest of all time... It's either because of recency bias or because you just started watching the sport not too long ago. So that's in regards to the GOAT discussion. I 100% disagree with anyone who says Khabib is the GOAT. Now, Dana White, people are criticizing Dana White because he gives 250k to the Boys. I don't know what the fuck the Boys do. I've never watched any of their shit. I don't know who they are. I guess they're just like stupid YouTube creators but Dana White is criticized as gifting them 250k So people need to mind their fucking business. Here's the thing, right Here's the issue with this. I understand Dana giving them 250k because they gifted him like a Rolls Royce. So as someone gives if you're a rich dude if someone gives you a gift like a Rolls Royce, you have to give him an expensive gift back. So I can see them giving 150k, and Dana White gave it of his own money. So not like he took it from the UFC in that regard. He gave it of his own money. Now, there's a lot of people on MMA Twitter who are defending Dana White saying, you don't question your boss when he, when he buys stuff, when he gives people money, etc., etc. Here's the issue with that. One, he put it on the internet. If you put something out there to the public, you're automatically giving people the right to criticize you, whatever it is. That's how it works, motherfucker. That's how it works. Period. I put my podcast out into the internet, f- into the public, so I'm giving people the automatic right to criticize me. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether I agree with her or not, I'm allowing people to criticize me because I'm putting stuff out into the public. When Dana White did that, he put it out into the public, so he's allowing people to criticize him. Period. Period, period, period. But... Do I have an issue with Dana White giving money to who he wants? No. It's his money. He can do whatever he wants with his money. Here's the thing. The issue lies with if you're just gifting people thousands and of thousands of dollars, of dollars. But you're not you're not, you know, paying your fighters. That's just an overall bad look. That does not make you look good. Not only that, but it's going to make the fighters resent you. You can have the media coming, coming after you. In regards to fighter pay, but when you start to have the fighters start to come after you in regards to fighter pay, that's a whole different beast and a whole different issue. So I do hundred percent think that Dana White should have been criticized in that regard for this post. Now, it's his money; he can do what he wants with his money. But um, I do think that it doesn't—he shouldn't be criticized for. It. He absolutely should be. Another thing that's not necessarily in MMA news, but I really want to go over it, is, you know, nowadays people are just going after the commentary team like never before. And it's mostly DC and Rogan, right? People don't really go after uh, Beast being too much or Annick too much or Dominic Cruz too much. They're really going after DC and Rogan, right? And I really want to address this really quickly. Now, before I start, I believe that everyone should be criticized. There's no one who's above criticism. I'm not above criticism. President of the United States is not above criticism. Clearly, anyone who who's, does stuff for the public is above criticism, period. So I think... We should definitely criticize DC. We should criticize Dominic Cruz. We should criticize Joe Rogan. We should criticize all the MMA commentators. We should do them all. We should cr- criticize them all. That being said, I do think some of the criticism is a little bit unwarranted. Just a little bit unwarranted. And the fact that I think where the issue lies is that DC and Joe Rogan, they're not can they give you analytical breakdowns? They can. Joe Rogan has called more fights than all the commentators combined. Easily more than all the commentators combined. Not only that, he's been doing it the longest. So does he know what he's talking about? Yes. And of course, Joe Rogan also said that when it comes to commentating, he has the approach as in he's try- when he commentates, it's like he's trying to talk to someone who doesn't know MMA. So he's trying to dump things down as much as he can, and what he's looking at to the people who don't know MMA, which like who watch MMA who don't really know what they're watching. So which makes sense. It makes sense because back in the day when MMA was in the dark ages and is not as popular in mainstream as today, that approach would be the best approach in educating people as to what they're actually viewing. So I don't blame him for having that approach at all. Does it should it change a little bit? Maybe, but I, I'm really not opposed to having that approach because that approach really caters to the casual fans, which is the the bread and butter in regards to UFC and people buying pay per views and people going to the events. So I, I I really don't have any problem with that in that regard. Now when it comes to DC, they complain about DC because you know he's very chummy with Joe Rogan and he cracks a lot of jokes and you know he has all this energy. Now here's the thing. Do I think DC does that? Yes. Do I think he can maybe tone it down sometimes? I do agree. But when it comes to wrestling, there's no one out of all the commentators I want to hear more than DC. Why? Because the man is a fucking two-time Olympic wrestler. He knows wrestling more than any of the commentators combined. So when someone's in a wrestling position or two fires of wrestling, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear DC's outlook on what's happening. Like, and a Saryukian and Gamra fight. I want to hear. I would. I would have loved to have DC on that broadcast because he would have really broken down what was going on in regards to wrestling from both men. So in regards to wrestling, there's no one I want to hear more than DC. But here's the thing, right? You don't want three dominant cruises on a broadcast. I love Dominic Cruz. I think Dominic Cruz gets some of the, the best analytical breakdowns as far as what's happening in the fight. He does hours and hours and hours of research on all of the fighters and crew and the prelim fighters for every single event that he's commentating on. He treats it like a true professional. He treats commentating the same way he treats fighting, which I have so much respect for him in that regard. But I don't want three Dominic Cruises on the broadcast. Then shit gets boring. Shit gets stale. Dominic Cruz, even though he's extremely analytical and I enjoy listening to him, you want a mixture of both. You don't want three DCs, you don't want three Rogans, you don't want three Dominic Cruzes. You want a mixture of both. You want a DC or a Rogan because they bring the energy to the fight. Whenever, you know, whenever a fight is going down and one fight gets dropped, here and Joe Rogan say, oh, he's that makes the fight, bro. That makes the experience. Is it analytical? No, not at all. Literally not at all. Like I could see clearly that the dude is hurt, but it just heightens the experience. It heightens the viewership. It heightens the entertainment when you're watching it. So hearing that or hearing DC lose his mind when the fight is going back and forth, I enjoy that because it heightens my experience watching the fight. Is it analytical at all? No, but I don't need it to be at this moment because what's happening is exciting and I want to be hyped up. Now, in certain regards... Do you want that all the time and someone being chummy all the time? No. That's why you have a mixture of both. You want someone like a DC, you want someone like Rogan, you want someone like a uh Anik or a uh, a Dominic Cruz who's going to bring different things to the table. You don't want all commentators to be the same, man. So that's why I don't see people, you know, coming after Joe Rogan and coming after DC. The reason why the, the reason why the UFC has them on the pay-per-view broadcast is to heighten the experience is to hype up the fights that's going on they have anik who's supposed to be the analytical one out of the three which Anik can do it all he's one of the best commentators out there he's probably the best out of all of them there is so they have him for that reason they have joe rogan because he's a staple and the casual fans know joe rogan and know that he's commentating the ufc so he's a familiar voice and then you have dc just in case any wrestling happens or to continuously hype up the fight with Joe Rogan to heighten the experience. That's the reason why they have those three in a broadcasting team in regards to pay-per-views. And when it comes to the fight nights, you have different voices. DC is sometimes on there, you have um felder who's another person who's very analytical same way dominic cruz is you have dominic cruz you have michael beast that's a little bit of both he's very chummy but he can get very analytical breakdowns as well you have the other guy brad i forgot his fucking last name but you have him too he's pretty good he's, he reminds me a lot of Anik. we should have lauren shank uh uh lauren shanko more a lit on the broadcast especially if there's a lot of woman fights like for instance this fight that just happened lauren would have been a very good addition to the broadcast team. Maybe you should have put a fourth seat there. I don't see an issue with putting the fourth seat. Um, but you want, you don't just want three of the same kind of broadcasters, man. You don't want that. You want a mixture of all three. You want a mixture of all three. You want a mixture of, you know, people who are gonna hype up the fights and people who are very analytical. And I, people are just constantly criticizing DC and constantly criticizing Rogan, just a little too much nowadays. And I just think it's a little bit uncalled for. I think most people are doing it because it's commonplace to do. Now I want to go over the future predictions of this podcast. First one up is Santos against Jamal Hill. <sighs> Man, it's a shame where Santos's career led after the John Jones fight. He just fucking demolished both of his legs in that fight, tore meniscus, ACLs, uh, f- broke the tibia and fibula, I think in both legs. It was just a mess, man. It was just a mess. So it's a shame to, to see where his career is. he never been the same after those fights, and we can clearly see that. Um, I see Jamal Hill winning. I don't think Jamal Hill is going to finish the Algo Santos. But I do see him winning. I think he needs to respect. Diago Santos's power. I think he shouldn't go in there. With the mindset of. I'm going to finish this guy. Because even though. Diago Diago Santos is not the same fighter. That he was before. The dude still has some fucking power. And if you do anything stupid. He will tag you. So I think Jamal Hill. Shouldn't have the mindset of. I'm just going to go away. And finish this guy. And knock him out. And try to make a statement. He should fight this fight. Very strategically. But I do think he can get it done. If Santos is in his prime prior to the, the to John Jones fight, I would have given this fight to Santos all the way. But where Santos is in his career, I'm just giving it to Santos. Now it has Luke against Neil. I think this fight is gonna be a banger. I think this fight is going to be a fucking banger. But I see Luque winning this fight. I honestly see Luke winning this fight. I think Luque has the power to put Neil away. I think this fight is going to be sloppy. I think this fight is going to be a barn burner. But I think Luque is eventually going to get it done. But Neil is a live dog. So if you want to bet money on Neil or bet money on Santos, maybe not on Santos. But if you want to bet money on Neil, I think that makes sense. But here goes episode 14 of our 6 MMA talk with me, your boy Noah Petrie. You can find me on Instagram at Noah underscore A underscore Petri on Twitter at Noah PR6, Noah Petrie R6, and I'm looking forward to talking to you guys next week. Bye.